know that we make assumptions out of our history and don't address the now of what God is doing. And we're guilty of that over and over again. I remember years ago that God, God challenged me. I, I kind of been around the church all my life and not necessarily a real part of it, but around it. And I thought I knew quite a bit when I got saved. And very shortly, he began to challenge me to forget everything I thought I knew and read the Bible and pray and let him reestablish my thinking processes. I thought, well, that's easy. I can do that. And so far, we're about 40 years into it. And I still haven't gotten it all accomplished because you don't know what mindset that your brain is pulling things out of and you're not even conscious of it. Now, that may sound crazy, but it's true. Your brain makes a bunch of decisions that you don't even know it's making, but it makes it out of history and previous behavior. So with, with those things in mind, uh, I want to talk about pastoring. Um, I'm going to refer to some scripture, very heavily paraphrase, so you'll just have to look it up. But I was thinking about Paul and his, his attitude toward various things. And, and as I thought about Paul, then my mind went to John, and then went Paul and John, and then Peter, and then Jesus. And I began to realize that if I really wanted to figure out this thing of pastoring, that I really needed to look at the great shepherd. And, and you know, the, those words are kind of used interchangeably. But... We'll be doing that a little bit later, but just reminding you some of the things that Paul said. He, he said something to this effect, I'm a new creation. It's what I, it's what I really am. But the body of death, the, that which formerly separated him from Jesus Christ, that body of death hangs on. How can I get away from this? And then he said, I thank God that through Jesus Christ, my Lord, I can get away from that. And right at the beginning, I, I want to challenge you in your thinking about the fivefold ministries and about what God might be calling you to do or what God might be drawing you to do. I want you to think about that, that, that there is a body of thinking, a body of thought that was developed in you before you're saved that doesn't just automatically go away. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you're automatically embracing new thought and a new process. Because the old body of the death will try to hang on. John, John said, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're born of God. And that we need to keep in our mind, that in all of our struggle, all of our wrestling to, to hear what God has to say, we need to realize that, yes, I'm saved simply because I believe that Jesus is the Christ and I've been born of God. And so all of this struggle... In our thinking doesn't mean that we're not saved. It means that we're struggling in our thinking. And that's what it means. Because the Holy Spirit is trying to tear down our response to the old thought process and establish a new process. And I want you to think of the privilege we have as, as a body that, that we have among us several what I consider young people, and they probably don't consider themselves so young anymore, but we've got a, a reasonably young congregation. And it's these people that people my age have the privilege of encouraging and, and helping to propel them into that which God has for them. 
We're in a very real situation in our country where we have now created a generation of young people that can only be reached by young people. Because they've been taught that the, what the old folks think don't matter. And it doesn't really matter whether that is good or not. That's what we're dealing with. But what if we can, we can get these that, that understand the process, get, get them to, to focus on, um, on what it is to reach out. I was thinking as Chelsea was talking about evangelism, that you probably won't hear Glenn say evangelism. Because he's going to be talking to you about sharing Jesus. What if we can get this young generation to share Jesus? What if we can make it to where it's, it's not this word that all of a sudden puts the one, two, three, four things we got to do, but we switch it to where this whole young group that surrounds us is not thinking about how to do it more correctly in the congregation. They're not thinking about, about how to, how to uh, do it more rightly and to present the world a better them. But they're thinking about, how do I share Jesus? How do I share this wonder of life that's in me? How do I share this process? If we can, if we can manage that, that's what we're here to do. And so, when I, when I realized that the reason these writers assured us and reassured us of, of eternal life is because they knew that there was going to be the struggle. And we need to begin and begin in our awareness of the fact that we came to God with some very twisted thinking. And the Bible calls that evil. But we came to God with our mind messed up and our thinking messed up. And here's the problem. A lot of times we have been then schooled to think that now my work is to overcome all of that twisted thinking and to present to the world a better me. And that's our focus. We, we're still in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, we understand that we had this twisted mind that, that caused us to be who we were, but now we're going to come down to the fork and go up the other sea, and now I know what's good, and I'm going to get myself, I'm going to school myself to do what's good. I was talking to a man on... Uh, out of St. Louis, they're establishing a young church there, and, and they were talking, he was talking to me, he said, there's something that, that they're doing that it just doesn't sound like it will work to me, what do you think? And he said, they're, they're telling these 20-somethings that they have a six-week class that's called the elders class that they can go through, and then when they're finished, they'll be qualified to be elders. And I just started laughing. I said, man, I've seen that mess over and over and over and over again. Because it's not something you learn to be. It's not something that you're molded to be. It's something that you grow into. And you begin to be mature and able. And the point I'm making, folks, is we have, we have so missed the boat in a lot of things that, that we have adapted in it, or adopted, adapted or whatever, adapted to and adopted the, the American mindset of, of corporate thinking rather than of church thinking. So as we begin and work with this part of a message, instead of 
how can I be better? Start thinking along these lines. What, what would Jesus say to me about the true me? Because he didn't say that, that he didn't say that uh, that he was going to change the person I am. He said I'm going to be a new creation. Now, what might that look like? What might he say to that person? And the way that I live previous to that discovery makes it it's, makes no difference unless I let it make that. So now here's my point. The pastor's work is to bring you out of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't run out on that limb of knowing about evil. Don't run out on that limb of knowing good. Come on down out of that tree. And let's go over here to the tree of life and encourage you, come on, get up there and ask God what it is that brings life. What is in me? Yes, Christ is in you, but what now in this new creation is in me that will share Christ with my world? And at this point, I'm going to let Joy have this for about five minutes and bring to you a word that God gave her fresh this morning. As I'm getting ready this morning, he's just telling me, mighty, 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 mighty is my name, mighty is my name. And so I'm looking through Psalms, and so I just want to read several things because he really wants us to grab hold of this mighty and just remember it. Like, yes, he is love, and yes, he loves us, and yes, he is faithful, but he's mighty, and he is God, and he's the creator. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. Sing to God. These are several different psalms. I'm just going back and forth. Sing to God, O king of the of kingdoms of the earth, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are of from the ancient times. Behold, he speaks forth with his voice, a mighty voice, ascribe strength to God, his majesty over Israel, and his strength in the skies. O oh God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. Psalms 89. O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you? O mighty Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling seas. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crush Rahab like one who is slain. You scatter your enemies with your mighty hand. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Haram shout for joy at your name. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Righteous and justice are the foundations of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. How blessed are the people. How blessed are we who know the joyful sound. Oh Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. Your face is upright. You shine happiness. You smile on us. Your countenance is happy with us. In your name, they rejoice all day. We rejoice all day. In your righteousness, we exalt. And in 91, more than the sounds of many waters, 
than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Mighty, mighty, mighty. Mighty is, he is almighty. He is all powerful. He is all excellent. He is all famous. He is all famous in our problems. He is all famous in our day. He should be all famous in our mind and our hearts. He is all goodness. He is all noble. He is all worthy. He is mightier than the raging seas. He is mightier than the strongest trees. He is mightier than all the kings, all the nations, all the gods, all put together. He still is above all of them. Great and majesty is him. He is majestic and mighty and holy is his name. I feel like God was showing me these things, then he tagged it from last week when he brought to the mind of, of the songs and how they're all just in, intertwining together. And it's, you know, when we have these struggles and these problems and these, these people that we're wrestling with or we're praying for and we're losing doubt and we're losing hope, are we believing that he's good and he's our father? Yeah. Are we believing that he's a good God and what good God gives a stone to his child when they're begging for bread? We don't have to beg it's just given to us. And are we running to him? Are we running to that mountain rather than other people or other problems first? Is he the first person we go to? Is, you know, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. And the more I love you, the more I trust you. Is that what we are seeking first? He is mighty, mightier above all things, mightier over our problems, mighty over our fears, mighty over our doubts, mighty over our unbelief, mighty, oh God, our Redeemer, he is mighty. I feel like there is a lot of doubt with whatever certain people are wrestling through, and there's doubt, and I just want to encourage you, because God has been dealing with me on doubt, too, that doubt is a sin, and that hits my gut. I'm like, God, I'm sinning when I'm doubt. I, I'm sorry, and when we doubt, doubting is disbelief, so that means I am not believing what you say. I'm not believing your word because I'm doubting. I'm disbelieving, so when I'm doubting, I'm actually believing in my problems over him. I'm believing that my problems are mightier than him. But his word says he is almighty, right? So when we doubt, we are not believing he is almighty. We are believing our problems and these people that we're wrestling with, our jobs, whatever it is, that those are above him and his word. So I just want to encourage you guys to just focus in on that and throughout the days, just read through Psalms and just type in in your search just mighty and just start reading all the things about mighty and that one of them in Psalms that said, and faithfulness also surrounds you. So he is mighty, but yet he is surrounded also with his faithfulness. So he is almighty, he's all powerful in our problems and in everything we're doing and he's also faithful, so he's gonna come through because he's a good father and he's gonna give us good and nutritious bread, okay? So let's just have faith in who he is and his word and what he says he's going to do. And when we pray according to his will and we do not doubt, it's going to come and it's like he's already done it. So he's already done whatever he said he was going to do when we believe and we have faith. So all we have to do is grab hold of his truth and pull it in and say, this is mine. And it may not come right at this moment, but if I'm holding on to it, it's already mine. So he may be walking a process with us because he loves process, even though we despise them, 
It teaches us, it's hard and it's painful, but it teaches us to trust and it teaches us to hold him close and to walk with him and him to guide us and lead us. And it teaches us to have faith. It teaches us to trust. It teaches us to choose joy and happiness in our problems. It teaches us to rely on him. Process is so painful, but so good. So good because we grow in him and our roots, every time he takes us through a process, instead of just handing us something and here you go, and we're like, okay, you know, when, when we take hold and we have process, it causes us to lean in and press in and dig and we grow and our roots grow deeper and deeper and deeper and it holds stronger. And so when the winds and the waves come, our roots aren't coming out of the ground and we're shaken, but it's standing. And the deeper we go in him, the stronger we become in him, we cannot be shaken. So when we have faith, Man, what happens when we have faith and we just grab hold of his word and say, this is what I'm going to stand on, whether it's salvation for my kids and my coworkers or whatever. If he says that he wants none to perish, but all to come to know him and a knowledge of him. And he also says that I, no one comes to the Father unless I draw them. But he also says that if you ask anything according to my will and don't doubt, then it's gonna be done. So if his will is that none will perish, but all will come to know him, and his, his will is he wants to draw everyone to him, then if we pray, God, save my child, let him know him, and if you, you know, train up a child in the way he was go, he will come back to it. So if we have faith and we believe his word over our problems or over what's happening right now, and just get rid of doubt because doubt is not believing in him, it's believing in the opposite, then it's gonna come, it's gonna come through. Just enjoy that process and have faith and hope and knowing that God is working right now in every moment while we're sleeping, he's working. While we're sleeping, he's working because he's mighty and faithfulness surrounds him. She's good, huh? <laughs> you know that to me that was important to put it right here because it's it's what I'm talking about. First of all, what you see in joy is what's in you. And second of all, that's what it looks like to be born again and to be responding to that new birth rather than when you were born physically, you were born with a certain pattern of genetics and would be developed through the course of your life into a certain pattern of behavior. But we're born again. We're born again. That's canceled. Now, some of us would say, well, I don't want that canceled. I want to be just like, well, guess what? You will be. But we're born again and brought in as a, as a, as a spiritual baby into God's kingdom. And just what Joy is talking about, that, that mighty God is in you. Everything she expressed lives in you, dwells in you. So that is what we pastor. I want you to, uh, this, to me, this input was so important. And we'll get, we'll get Joy up here praying for some people after the message. But that's what we pastor, is that new birth. And that's what causes a lot of misunderstanding. So let's work through this. I'll, I'll try to be quick, but I might not be good at doing that. <laughs> but before I go to Scripture, I just want to talk to you about pastors and pastoring for a few minutes. Pastoring people 
I have come to believe is the most important job of the fivefold ministries. I've worked with a lot of young leaders over the past many years, and I've often cautioned young prophets, young apostles, telling them, if you can't pastor, then you're not qualified to do anything else in the kingdom of God. Because I'm going to be using Peter as an example in, in a few moments, but as I move into that, I want you to realize that this man was destined to be one of the most significant apostles. And Jesus talked to him about pastoring. Jesus himself, the great shepherd, pastoring. Paul, pastored, pastored leaders, pastored people. You know, the pastor, in my opinion, along with the evangelist, are most involved in bringing heaven to earth. The apostolic and prophetic, those primary callings, often live more in the heavenlies themselves, and they have a difficult time. Sometimes touching the earthly realm in a, in a way that draws people. It becomes the job of the pastor and the evangelist to embrace that and to draw that heavenly realm into earthly realm in such a way that earthly people are drawn to the realms of God. I know I've read some stuff just recently where guys were once again, or scholars were once again trying to convince the church world that God no longer moves among men, that it's just a ritualistic process until we die. Folks, that's so wrong. But if they were going to convince me, they should have started a long time ago because I've already seen him moving among men. I've already experienced him moving among men. So now we've got to figure that one out. Now, as we think of these things, we should remember that when God chose to shift everything, and by that I mean when he brought Jesus into the world as a baby, when he did that, he brought himself to earth. He didn't bring man to heaven. That's an important thing because a lot of the mistakes that we make is in trying to uh, bring men into heaven rather than working out of the heavenlies and manifesting God on the earth. That's what his intent was. That's what his intent is. I'm trying to go slow today because... Uh, this is stuff that, in my opinion, is so important. The focus is to bring his realm to us right where we live and to your circle of influence right where they live. And we've somehow gotten that all askew by, by talking about what happens when we leave this world and what's waiting on us out there. And the truth is, no matter how many books you read on it, no matter how many messages you hear, you still don't really know because that's never been God's focus. His focus was, earth, was heaven to earth. So as a man, a pastor faces some grave danger in their personal thinking. Because uh, people seem to think that this is the guy who's going to somehow meet my need. Now, those of us that are a little bit obstinate and stubborn will immediately think, well, that's not the way I think. But, you know, it's kind of like the storyline of, of uh, someone getting lost at sea and a group of people coming together on an island. Eventually, they figure out who the person is that has the ideas, who the person is that is able to fix anything with duct tape or whatever, and they begin to look to that guy to meet the needs of the group. It's human nature. 
And almost inevitably, in the church, if, we're, if we don't do proper teaching, people began to think, this guy is sent from God to meet my needs. And they start to look to him for answers. They, they have in the back of their mind, if it's not direct uh, questions, it, it's there, uh, what, what are you going to do to reach my children? What are you going to do to, to get my children that are already off into other thinking? What are you going to do to get them? How are you going to reach my family? How are you going to solve this problem of this, this thing that's in me, this, this emotional mess that I've got inside? How are you going to fix that? And so that's, the, that's where the danger starts to lie because there's a strange seduction in this. Hmm. Let that sink in a minute. Something in, in leaders, there's something of a messianic complex that they want to be the answer to people's needs. It's an amazing amount of pressure when you're responding to things like that, but, but there, there's something in them. They, they want to be the man who becomes God's figure. They want to be the person that is known as holy. Be the person that carries the power of God. And the truth is that deep inside that person knows that he's expending useless energy trying to be all things to all people, but yet he got the pressure first of being expected to perform from the outside and then the pressure from the inside of wanting to perform. And it causes breakdown, it causes burnout, it causes all kinds of things that that I've been a part of dealing with for, for years and, and some, some leaders that get into these problems. But the, what, what begins to be a trap for one that knows that he's called to be a pastor? He knows for sure that he's called by God. So the, the trap is that he begins to think that all of his ideas are God ideas. And so he gets in his head, gets in his own head, and, and he begins to plan all kinds of activities and all kinds of things that, that's going to help God out. We're going to get God out of this predicament he's in. And all of these things, get them all planned, present them. There's not a very excited response. Present them and then, then start to put them in motion and then too often getting in the office and being offended because nobody's rising to do what he wants them to do. And all in the mind, all in the emotion. And it begins to be burnout. He's planning, he's establishing, and then offended because people don't get excited about, about his ideas. Somewhere along the way, as, as he gets a little older and mature, the light begins to dawn and he begins to realize, I can't meet these people's needs. I can't even meet them physically, let alone spiritually. So there's got to be something more to this pastoral idea than what we first thought. It's got to be, there's got to be something bigger than this. And, and so I began personally, several years ago, I began to realize that my job is not to produce answers for you. Not my job. And I found out something as I, as I began to work this way. It's not really answers that people want. Many times they just want you to agree with them. 
But that's not the new birth. That's not this new thing. It's not this kicking, squalling, living reality that comes inside of you. But if I insist on providing answers, then I'm going to burn out. There's just no, way, no two ways about it. Why? Because you burn out when you can't do what you set before yourself to do, but you keep trying. And that's the history of many, many pastoral leaders around the country that we read about as they burn out. But here's what the very basis of it is. That if I as a pastor try to pastor your old man, I'm going to burn out. But if I'll start to look for the new creation in you and start to draw that out and draw, draw you to the one who is the creator and direct your thinking toward not how you can be a better you, but what might you be now that you're born again? And began to look at that and to see how you function. If I, if, if I can begin to live like that, then guess what? It takes the pressure off of me and puts the pressure on God. And he don't feel any pressure, so it's all good. But the pastor has an immediate and automatic struggle in his thinking as he responds to God's voice. God's voice because the fallen part of the pastor does want to meet the need of people. So... Here's, there's just a little error in, I think, almost every Christian's thinking. And that is that when we're born again, that now we just have the whole thing. We're going to do things like we've always done it. We're just going to do it better. We're, we're going to reach the people we've always wanted to reach. We're just going to be more effective. And so we began to continue to allow our brain to operate out of things of the past without embracing the newness that is inside of us. Now, I want to go to Scripture now, John chapter 21. And here's where we begin to talk about Peter. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, well, then tend my lambs. And he said to him again second, the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, well, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time and said, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. Now, what Peter didn't even really seem to notice in that conversation is Jesus gave him three levels of pastoral care there that is often overlooked. Now, I want you to think where Peter was at this point. Now, Jesus had just gone through the, his death and was now resurrected and talking to Peter. Peter had been the one standing by the fire that said, I didn't know him. And before you, get, before you get too caught up in the negative aspect of that, thinking, well, Peter was denying Christ, was he really? <clears throat> Think of what's going on here now. He, he had followed him. He had put his faith in him. Now he sees 
Jesus standing in the courts of Caiaphas with all of the pomp and the circumstance that surrounded religion at that time, which was, it was a, it was a big deal. There was all kinds of beautiful things and, and all the gold and stuff surrounding him. And here's this Jesus standing there by this time already bloodied and, and beat up and just a, a prisoner. And somebody says, now you were with him, wasn't you? And, and would it be possible that Peter would have been saying, yeah, but I, I don't know him. I thought I knew him. But in the midst of all this, I don't know him. I thought, I thought he was going to deliver us out of all this, and here he is caught up in all this. I don't know him. So coming, whatever it was, when it comes out of that experience, and now Jesus is resurrected, he's sitting with his disciples, and he looks at Peter and says, Peter, can you imagine what went on in Peter's mind the moment he singled him out? Oh, no, here it comes. He is going to bring me out. I wish I hadn't attended this meal. I wish I'd have made an excuse. But it didn't happen that way. Jesus did not mention the revelation from heaven where he said Peter, where, where Peter saw him as the Christ, and then a little bit later, Jesus said, uh, you're, like, you're acting like Satan, and a little bit later he denied him. Jesus didn't mention any of that. He's just getting on with business. And I want you to understand this. That as you move along, that mistake you made yesterday where you responded to the old man and didn't respond to the new, Jesus is not going to mention that in dealing with you today. That's history. He's going to ask you now, what are you going to do from here? What are you going to do from here? And I'm telling you that that new creation is what, where the pastor strives. If he's doing his job, he's striving to pastor that. And you do it with that knowledge that I can't be all things to all people. No way. I'm not going to respond to the old man. When that thing rears up its head, I'm not going to put a lot of mental real estate into that. I'm not going to put a lot of spiritual real estate into that. I'm just going to keep on moving so that when you start to respond to the new man and begin to realize that there is something in you that is great, something in you that will respond to the majesty that joy uh, done so well with this morning. When that begins, then we're going to take care of that. We're going to do something with that. And we need to understand that the, the pastors that burn out are those that's always trying to pastor the old man that raises up in the congregation. You can't. That thing is trying to live and it has no right to live. So, when Jesus talked to Peter, he, he said, do you love me? And the love that Jesus used there meant that, that you have invested so much love in Jesus that you're willing to sacrifice everything. Having just came through what Jesus came through, he, he was, in, in Peter's mind, he was pointing back to that. Do you love me enough to give your life for me like I just gave my life? And Peter's answer is very interesting. He couldn't say, I love you like that. But the way he could answer was, Lord, I have great affection for you. And I have some of the same interests that you have. Lord, I don't know. Until you're in the situation, no matter what you say, you don't know if you're ready to die for him or not. But I love you as much as I'm able. 
I find that my prayer many times. I start thinking of the love of God and I find myself saying, God, you've got to teach me to love. Yes, I love you as much as I'm able, but I'm not so able to love as you're able. Yes, I love these people as much as I'm able, but God, I'm not so able to love like you're able. And that's basically what Peter was saying is, yeah, I've got great affection for you, Jesus. But as I've just proven to you, I'm not able to give it up like you gave it up. So, this man who would become one of the apostolic greats, and Jesus wanted to talk to him out of that conversation, he wanted to talk to him about pastoring. Now, this sent me on a search like it normally does, and, and I started looking at what we have in history of all of the apostles, and I was pleasantly surprised to see that all of them before they left this world had established significant churches. They had worked and established it because Jesus told them, this is what I'm doing. I'll build my church. If you, if you get lost and wonder where to go from there, remember, I said I build my church. This is what I'm doing. And they, it seemed like they all remembered that. But Jesus wanted to talk to him about pastoring. First of all, he said, tend my lambs. Now, this is obviously a, a um, this pointing toward the newborns, the young ones that need care. But the word tend, as it's used in this passage, it's more than just feeding them, more than just changing diapers, if that's, what, if that's the way you want to put it, more than just earthly stuff. But it's tending while moving in a direction. It's taking care of while moving in a direction. Yes, meet their needs, but don't forget that the work is to put them toward the heavenlies and to, to constantly be trying to connect them to His world and to disconnect them from this other world that, that seems to draw them away. So work at that. In Peter's use of phileo, he, he wanted to make a point to Jesus and what, what he really wanted to make was that, that he understood by this time it was more than getting his own needs met. It was engaging with the interest of Christ. And Jesus seemed to, by using the word that has been translated ten, he seemed to be making a bow toward that, say, yes, it's more than that. It's moving in a direction where you're fully identified with the interest of Christ. That's what we pastor. As you move toward your interest becoming more and more engaged with the interest of Christ, not the interest of, of this world in any way, not those things that are causing you all kinds of stress and disability, not that, but the more that your interest is focused on Christ, the more we're going to pastor that life, the more we're going to try to draw you into that way of thinking, the more we're going to try to work with that. Because that's the only thing we can do effectively is knowing that I am connected with Christ. And while I'm not sure what I would do if my life was on the line, although in some ways we've had that tested and we figured it out. But the thing is that we know that we're connected with him and my interest is his interest. I told Rafa today last, last week on the phone, I said, man, I, I've got one answer. He asked me a question about something that I do. I said, I've got one answer for that. There's one thing I do. 
And that's pressed toward the mark of the high calling that's in Christ. That's it. The rest of it I don't care about. This one thing I do. When we get that hooked up, then we recognize it and respond it in other people. And the great danger is that the pastor will disconnect him thing from himself from these things in the heavenlies and totally engage with these things on earth and become a circle of emotional nonsense. Mm-hmm. Now Jesus went on the next time he said, and I want you to shepherd my sheep. Now this was a completely different word from ten because this shepherd that he used was talking about number one sheep as a whole and also saying that this is an oversight type job where you labor, work to provide earthly shelter with the folks. Where you labor, you work to to have an earthly presentation in the community, if you would. Where you work to feed people among you that, that might be hungry in the physical, but at the same time, Leaning in that direction, leaning in that direction, leaning in that direction. In other words, you have this, you have this load of uh, figuring out how do we maintain the physical, the physical presence? How, how do we represent in our community? How do we do this? How do we do that? But at the same time, it's all about bringing heaven to earth. How do we, how do we help these people to understand that the majesty of God is indwelling them, that the, the power of God indwells them, and He's there all the time. He don't have have to go fast and pray for 30 days so the power of God will indwell you. He's in you. And when He's in you, He comes with all of His equipment. The new genetics, the spiritual genetics that you have is the genetics of God. And it's up to you whether you respond to the old man or not. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to live back there, then understand that you're going to feel the pressure, you're going to feel the, the, the uh, depression, the oppression of trying to live with the body of death attached to you. And that you're going to be doing something that nobody can pastor. No spiritual person can pastor that. They've just got to let it rot and fester and die. Waiting for that new life to begin to rise out of that. And when it begins to rise out of it, then they lay hold of it and draw it in. And begin to realize that, that that thing is what's real. I've had to work to get this tightened up because this is Moses, when I was talking to him about it earlier in the week, he says, you're going to preach about five weeks on that? I said, no, I'm going to preach about 30 minutes on that. So Jesus goes on with, with Peter and says, tend my flock the next time. Now notice, first of all, he's talking about those that are very young. And then he's talking about the sheep, those that are mature, those that have been around a while. I want you to tend that new life in, in those lambs, but I also want you to tend my flock. A different level of tending, a lot of the same concern. But these people who are more and more treated as the mature in the house, these people that we look to to make solid spiritual decisions. These people that we look to to look at their own lives and see how God has brought them along and to lay hold of these young lives and draw them in and begin to pull them into the things that God has done in their own lives. And instead of, instead of trying to, to 
somehow take it back to what we experienced before that we realize that God is moving it ahead and he said now I want you to tend those people and I want you to feed both sides I want you to feed that newness I want you to feed that, that thing. I want, I want you to directly hook those up to, to the heavenlies and, and draw them into it. And, and these others, I, I want you to recognize the maturity that's in them and, and pastor that and love that. But I want you to also realize that, that there's, there's some of that stuff that needs to fall off too. But I don't want you to pastor that. I want you to pastor that which they're drawing people into me. And he said, this is kind of all in the language of this conversation that Jesus was putting on Peter an impossible task. Are you seeing that? Can't be done. Not by a human. It's got to be done by the Spirit of God. And that's where I think a lot of, a lot of people fail. And you understand that the, in the lambs, their struggle to live will be real. And the mature ones, their struggle will be real. They, they'll be facing difficulty in their thinking. They're, there's grave danger to spiritual growth on both sides. And, and the grave danger is that somehow in their thinking they will be allowed to disconnect from the heavenlies and connect with the earthly and be drawn into that, creating a larger body of death for them to be released from. So you just you, you realize that, that this is an impossible task. I know I said that before, but I want to say it again. So we begin to identify with what Paul said. He, he said, I'm not adequate for these things. And then a little bit later, you can just hear his heart cry. If you've if you tried to minister with the load of the fivefold calling, I hear that cry. He said, I'm not adequate, but my adequacy is from God. That, that it's, it's this calling. He wouldn't have laid hold of me like this if he didn't intend to do something. And he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have made it an absolute necessity that all of the fivefold callings be able to pastor people if that wasn't the primary objective and the most important thing. And pastoring people, hear me, it doesn't mean I'm here all the time. It doesn't mean that, that I'm going to meet all your need. It doesn't mean I'm going to win your family. What it means is I'm going to recognize the work of God in you and I'm going to lay hold of that and I'm going to pull on that just as hard as the Holy Spirit's pulling on it. It's going to be uncomfortable at times, but I'm not going to let you get away with going out and completely getting off in the world. Why? Because there's something of a new life in you and I'm going to lay hold of that. That's why you see me stopping and talking to some of these younger ones sometimes, uh, to Anna and to Addie and to Becca and some of those. I'm laying hold of something very real in them. I know the world is laying hold of something. And it, it, I'm telling you, the enemy is bidding high for their soul. But guess what? I'm bidding higher. I'm laying hold of something that's already on the inside of them and pulling on it through relationship. That's what we do. That's what we do. You might have a, now I'll just use this for an example, you might have a 30-minute conversation in me where you're just spilling the natural beans. And I'll totally ignore that conversation and go to the Spirit on you. Why? Because I can't pastor that mess. But I can pastor the newness of life that's in you. I wish I had learned this young, young in life. I didn't. <laughs> Though the great work of the pastor is a constant dying to getting my needs met. Instead, it's all about moving the whole flock 
toward the things that we absolutely know that Jesus is doing. So what's he doing? I've got a list here. I'll go through them quickly. Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If we're not winning people, we're not following him. It's easy. Let's go back and look at what it means to follow him and watch. We'll start to win. We'll start the, the bobber will start going down. The net will start being full. Why? Because we're following him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 7. I will come and heal him. That gives me my, my thing. You, you guys know that I'm about healing. I, I want to see healing happen. Why? He said, I'll come and heal him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I'll give you rest. <laughs> oh, if only we could get most of the church leadership world to understand that he really means that. If your yoke is not easy and your burden is not light, you're not yet learning of him. Because he'll give you rest. Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. What's he doing? Building his church. I'm not. He is. I told someone the other day, I'm just a carpenter's helper. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, even a journeyman. I'm just, I, just carry, I just carry lumber. He's the builder. He'll build his church. And the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Luke 21, 15, I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to refute. John 15, 18, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. This is what he's doing. Now if we'll get on board with this stuff and make this our focus, then that's what we'll be about too. A pastor, whether it's a he or a her, I've been saying he mostly because that's me. I, I'm not confused about that. <laughs> I know which bathroom. <laughs> His or her life is a constant praying for and working in and around these things. You know, there is a part of me that wishes I could meet your needs. You, won't, you don't know how much time sometimes Chelsea and I spend in prayer. Not praying that your needs will be met, but praying that you'll recognize what the real need is. And get off the high horse, get off that kick, and realize that God will meet your need. But you've misidentified the need. But... Most of the prayer time goes into, God, how can we direct them in the ways of righteousness? In your ways, God, so that you can identify their true need and meet it. And I don't know, I've heard a lot of guys talking about how they pray more for their vision than they do their people. My response to them is, you need to trash your vision and pray for your people. Because, folks, it is imperative that you discover the new life in yourself and let it touch this city. That you quit complaining about the things of yesterday and get excited about what this wonderful God can do today. When Joy was going through what she was going, it just kept going through my mind. This majestic God indwells us. And he's mighty. 
He's mighty. To, to Him, your biggest problem is no problem at all. None. Has it ever dawned on you that God doesn't have any problems? And if you walk with Him, yours will go away. I thought so much after Paul Washington preached here, it's such a blessing to me when there's other people preach and I get to sit and listen. About working to become part of the body, and then I realized that my finger don't work to become part of my body. It just is. Is that in your mind that you don't have to work to become part of the body of Christ? You just are. And if you are, what might that mean? If this finger gets injured, which in my, on my hands that happens often because I use them for tools. But if it gets injured, this other hand will immediately hold that, keep it from bleeding while we go and get it fixed. It don't stand aside and say, if you hadn't been using yourself for a tool, you wouldn't have gotten cut. It immediately goes to that and begins to try to solve the problem. Folks, we need to get that in the church. That we'll cross all boundaries to get the one that's hurting. And not that you'll do what they think you should do, but you'll help them to find life, help them to get up that tree of life and begin to eat there and get them off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where they'll die. This majestic God that we serve, He's amazing in so many ways, but there are among us those who are very pastoral in the way they handle people, and I'm so grateful for that. Because one person, near as I can tell, Jesus only effectively pastored 12 people, and He lost one of those. Think about that a minute. Yeah, there was the 70. He didn't have a lot of interaction with them. Yes, there was a multitude. He just turned loose the power of God on them. But he had first the three, and then the twelve, and then the seventy. I'm so glad for pastoral people among us that reach to people and begin to draw on them and begin to see what's good in them and draw it out of them. Matthew 16, 25. For whatever, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The work that we have is that it would become on earth as it is in heaven. Not in heaven as it is on earth. Not getting earth to heaven, but on earth as it is in heaven. And it's so good to just lose your life in that. Because in reality, it's all that other effort that causes all the stress and the strain. And I find myself praying parts of that, what we call the Lord's Prayer, over and over again. God, let it be in Kirksville, as it is in the heavenlies. God, let it be in Christ's family church, as it is in the heavenlies. God, deliver them from the evil one in his ways. But God, on earth as it is in heaven. I'm telling you, when you begin to pray like that, everything begins to get disrupted. 
I want to read to you now, Peter, we read what Jesus said to Peter. Now some 50 years later, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter said this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elders. And he's just talking about mature believers here. I exhort them as your fellow elder, Peter saying, now I'm one of you and I've witnessed the sufferings of Christ and I'm a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. And here's what you do. You shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for gain, but with eagerness, not as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples for the flock, proving to be a life sample for the flock, proving to be a person that is more concerned about what God wants than what I want, and of all things, shepherd the flock, feed them, take care of them, connect them. Now, I'm thinking that when Joy was teaching, preaching, exhorting, whatever this morning, all the, all the above, <laughs> that some were thinking, I need God to be mighty in my life. I need God to do something just to make a switch. Because my thinking has led me off into the body of this death. But I know there's life. And if you're thinking that, I know that's a hard altar call to respond to, but I'm going to ask you to respond. God, break me free from the thinking of the past and help me embrace what you're doing now. Church, hear me. It's going to look different because we're reaching a different generation. God doesn't change, but He alters His methods. And we need to stay on top of that. This, bo this book is a record of the links he will go to to reach every culture, every generation. And he will do something to reach this generation. They're now calling this a post-truth generation. And the only way to get around that is for us to live the truth. You can't quote this. They don't believe it's anything more than a work of literature. You can't say what grandma and grandpa done because they're not interested in that. But if you can become the living truth where the Spirit of God works through you and you're connected with the heavenlies as you work with them, we will win this generation. 